Arnold's becoming a dangerous place for us women. Lipstick Bodyguard looks just like an innocent little lipstick, but it'll instantly drop any attacker to his knees so you can get away unharmed. Lipstick Bodyguard, fear no evil. Get yours today, only at LipstickBodyguard.com. This week on Parents Are Hard To Raise, Diane's special guest expert, Jennifer Ridgway of the Sinai Health System in Ontario, Canada, pulls back the curtain to reveal how a simple idea can result in so many benefits. Join 180 million monthly subscribers who can now listen to Parents Are Hard To Raise on Spotify. Welcome to Parents Are Hard to Raise, helping families grow older together without losing their minds. I'm elder care expert, Diane Berardi. Recognizing that families and caregivers are an integral part of the collaborative care team is a great idea. Implementing that idea in a system known for bureaucratic logjams and interdepartmental turf wars is another matter altogether. My guest this week is part of an innovative team who made it past all the obstacles and implemented a simple idea that is paying off big benefits for family caregivers, providers, and patients alike. And she's here to tell us how they are doing it. Jennifer Ridgway has been working in the field of therapeutic recreation for the past 19 years in both hospital and community settings. She is currently the program co-lead for the Cultivating Change Project at Sinai Health System in partnership with Wood Green Community Services, which is funded by the Change Foundation in Ontario, Canada. Jennifer Ridgway, welcome to Parents Are Hard to Raise. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. We're so happy to have you here. But my first question is, could you tell our listeners, what is therapeutic recreation? Oh, certainly. Um, therapeutic recreation um, is a field where recreation therapists assess patients um, to look at what strengths that they have, what's meaningful to them, and, and what brings them joy. So when someone's had an illness or an accident and they're no longer able to participate in leisure the way they used to, a recreation therapist looks for ways to adapt, um, you know, through equipment or a different approach for them to still be able to engage and have those social connections to others. Um, and therapeutic recreation also has been, you know, instrumental in helping people transition back into the community after their rehab stay, because life could look very different for them. Yeah. Um, and not only for themselves, but also their family. If they have other kind of care needs that they didn't have previously, it's, a, it's an adjustment not just for the patient, but for everyone who's in their support system. Is this a fairly new field? It's not it's not as common as occupational therapy and, and uh, physiotherapy, okay. but um, yeah, so therapeutic recreation has probably been around since I'd say the 80s um, when they started their first kind of formal education programs. So recreation therapists often work in both community settings and hospital settings. That's a great field. And that's a there's a great need. Yes. And the, there's also some current work um, happening 
not only with our, our seniors population, but also within the school board, because it's really a strengths-based approach that looks at building, um, you know, skills in a variety of, of, of um, cognitive, emotional, physical, and social capacities. Right. I love that social capacity because, mm-hmm. you know, getting people back into uh, social settings. Exactly. Social isolation is such a huge concern for, for especially our seniors population. Right. Yeah. Um, so tell us about the programs you've implemented. So we have implemented many programs across um, the Sinai site and also with our community partner, which is Wood Green, which is a community service organization. Um, and I know that we wanted to today focus on our caregiver ID component. Um, but just to let you know, besides the caregiver yeah. ID, we've also really leveraged technology, um, such as we have an Ontario telemedicine network, which um, we're utilizing to allow family caregivers to it's like Skyping into family meetings or rounds, medical rounds, but it's on a secure network. Wow, so instead of great. FaceTime, yes, many people have barriers to being able to um, get to meetings, whether it be distance or having to return to work or other right. you know, care, care needs for other family members. So um, looking at how we can break down as many barriers as possible to have um, caregivers successfully integrate into the care teams. Yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a lot of interest in, in scaling and spreading that idea to other areas as well. So this project is looking at support, education, recognizing caregivers, um, which is what we're going to talk about today more, and really about education and support as well. Right, right. I was just telling Jen before, you know, we came on air about my mom and dad, and I could use your your program with a Skype right. tomorrow, right? Because my mom felt she couldn't get to her chemo appointment and she wanted to talk to the doctor and she's just so tired and she's not able to walk or, you know, it, it, we're having, it, it's a struggle. And so um, the doctor said, don't worry about it. You know, uh, we can do a phone conference. So I thought, okay, and, you know, I'm two hours away, so it'd be like four hours for 10 minutes. And I thought, okay, (laughs) let me try to see if we can have a conference call. But, you know, I, I just had my dad, you know, I wanted to just get him to adjust the volume. That was just the first step, you know, (laughs) on my mom's cell phone. He, he, four hours go by and then he finally calls me back and then he's like, Oh, I don't know how to even turn on the phone. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm like, you don't know what her password is. No. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh my gosh. So I don't know yeah. how, yeah, it's just, uh, but this would be perfect. Yes. I think that definitely a lot of the other project teams are very interested in this particular initiative. And so I can really see it spreading to other organizations. So now, what is the caregiver ID? Yeah, so the caregiver ID is actually a physical ID card that looks very similar to a staff badge. And it's really about recognizing the caregiver as an important member of the the patient's care team. And what's really important about the caregiver ID tag is it's not just, you know, giving someone this tag, this card, but it's actually linked um, to access. So there's utility with the card. Um, And it was really a part of launching our family presence policy here at the Bridgepoint site. So family presence policy replaced our previous visiting hours. So 
before June 5th of 2018, we used to have an announcement that would come on at about eight o'clock, letting people know that visiting hours are now over. Right. Um, and we, we no longer do that. So caregivers, which could be family, friends, the neighbor, anyone who supports that patient are always welcome in our facility. Uh, and, and what we've done is we've developed a process where a patient identifies who they would like um, their caregiver to be. Okay. And that information is entered into our electronic medical record um, where the caregiver then goes down to our security office and the security checks the caregiver information in the computer in our system against a photo ID of the of the caregiver. Okay. And then the card is presented and then the card itself um, allows them to scan in the elevator. So at 10 o'clock in the evening till seven o'clock in the morning, our elevators are, are shut down to general access. Right. And only someone with that card, um, staff or caregiver, can scan and they can go to the unit where they're supporting someone. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's really taking away that barrier of, yeah. of trying to get there at a certain time and, and having to ask permission to be there if they want to be there past 10 o'clock. Right, right. Yeah. I know because you get that announcement in all the hospitals here, you yes. know, visiting hours are, are closed and you feel horrible leaving your your parent. Yes. And sometimes, you know, different people's working schedules, if someone works until five and, and gets home or just gets to the hospital, you might only be able to have a very short visit before right. that eight o'clock announcement. And, and people work different shifts as well. The world is is moving all the time and, and not everyone has the same schedule. Right. So this is great. You know, really looking at the caregiver and saying, okay, how can we help in that way? Because you're right. Everybody has different work schedules and, mm -hmm. and, uh, by the time you find a parking space sometimes right. in the hospital <laughs> or something like that, yeah. yeah. I do remember, though, having to go uh, be a patient in Florida at Celebration mm -hmm. Hospital, which is uh, a Disney hospital. Oh. And Yeah, and they, uh, now that I think about it, they did give my husband um, a card, you know, and he had access to the whole hospital could come come and go at any time mm -hmm. with this card now that I think about it but not many places took on that and thought no. about that yeah and hopefully more will there's been some work done in Ontario um, with the Ontario Hospital Association they really set out a document to have the principles for the family presence policies and then the Canadian Foundation for Healthcare Improvement developed a better together pledge which is all about partnering with family caregivers and yeah. recognizing that that they help in care and they help support the patient and um, just that the quality of the experience is so much greater when we don't put those barriers in place. You know, going through this whole experience with my mom, you really can appreciate all the frustrations you mm -hmm. you can feel. And it's not intentional, you know, uh, uh, by any means on the part of the hospital or whatever. It's just that no one thinks about it. And right. how do we make the lives easier? And another component of, of the badge itself, too, was that when we first were doing the discussions and reviewing our policy in 2017, and we engaged with patients and, and staff and caregivers, some of the concerns were regarding staff working in the evening and not wanting to just kind of just open up and unlock the hospital and not knowing, you know, who would be here in the right. hospital and, and a feeling of safety. So not only for staff, but also patients and other family members really like the fact that um, caregivers are getting this card from security. So even if they're not visiting themselves at night, they know that the hospital is not just open and that their loved one is safe within our within our walls. Right. 
Can you have more than one caregiver or is yeah, you, you that's a great question. So we um, allow people to identify, we ask them to identify two caregivers. Okay. Um, and we ask that just one stay overnight at a time. Sure. With the exception of our palliative care. In our palliative care um, unit, we don't put any restrictions whatsoever. Okay. Yeah. And we're really fortunate though. Our palliative care is only single rooms. So we moved to a beautiful um, new building about five years ago. And so it would be difficult or maybe we, we may have more, um, you know, considerations if people were sharing rooms. But in palliative care, it is one patient per room. So we're not interrupting anyone else's rest or, or sleep pattern. Yeah, that is really good. Yeah, because I was thinking if you have, you know, two siblings or, you know, mm-hmm. if and they take turns, could it be two different people? But that's um, absolutely. Yeah. And not having any barriers with palliative care is really important. We're going to continue talking with Jennifer Ridgway. But first, if you're a woman or there's a woman in your life, there's something you absolutely need to know. I want to tell you about my friend Katie. Katie is a nurse, and she was attacked on her way home from work. She was totally taken by surprise. And although Katie is only 5 feet tall and 106 pounds, she was easily able to drop her 6 foot 4, 250 pound attacker to his knees and get away unharmed. Katie wasn't just lucky that day. She was prepared. In her pocketbook, a harmless-looking lipstick, which really contained a powerful man-stopping aerosol propellant. It's not like it was in our grandmother's day. Today, just going to and from work or to the mall can have tragic consequences. The FBI says a violent crime is committed every 15 seconds in the United States, and a forcible rape happens every five minutes. And chances are, when something happens, no one will be around to help. It looks just like a lipstick, so no one will suspect a thing, which is important since experts say getting the jump on your attacker is all about the element of surprise. Inside this innocent-looking lipstick is the same powerful stuff used by police and the military to disarm even the most powerful armed aggressor. In fact, National Park Rangers use the very same formula that's inside this little lipstick to stop 2,000-pound vicious grizzly bears dead in their tracks. It's like carrying a personal bodyguard with you in your purse or your pocket. Darkness brings danger. Muggers and rapists use darkness to their advantage. We all know what it's like to be walking at night and hear footsteps coming at us from behind. Who's there? If it's somebody bad, will you be protected? Your life may depend on it. My friend Katie's close call needs to be a wake-up call for all of us, myself included. Pick up a lipstick bodyguard and keep it with you always. Were you ever young? You're listening to Parents Are Hard To Raise. Now, thanks to you, the number one elder care talk show on planet Earth. Listen to this and other episodes on demand using the iHeartRadio app. iPhone users can listen on Apple Podcasts and Android users on Google Podcasts. Want a great new way to listen to the show? Just say, Alexa, play Parents Are Hard To Raise podcast. Getting the latest episode of Parents Are Hard To Raise. Here it is from iHeartRadio. It's as simple as that. You're right, Dolly. There are so many really cool new ways to listen to our show. It's hard to keep track. You can join the 180 million listeners on Spotify. You can listen in your car, at the gym, or pretty much anywhere on your smartphone with Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. 
You can get us on Apple TV, DirecTV, Roku. And like Dolly said, you can even ask Alexa to play the show for you. It's great because you don't have to be tied to a radio anymore. You can listen when you want, where you want, for as long as you want. And if you're listening to the show in one of these new ways, please do me a big favor. Share this new technology. Help someone else learn about the show and show them a new way to listen. So, Jen, well, when you implemented um, this program, the Caregiver ID, did you face any challenges? Yeah, I think we definitely um, had a lot of, you know, some people feel uncomfortable or, or have some concern. And it was especially with nursing staff who work in the evening, because in the evening, there there's no other health disciplines. There's no physiotherapist or unit manager. So there's just less traffic of, of other employees. Um, so we really had a lot of conversations. We actually went to every unit yeah. um, and, did camp, and did council meetings. We had a breakfast event held at Shift Change so we could kind of catch the oncoming and, and exiting nurses. Um, so through having the conversations and really talking about, okay, what, what is your concern? What do you think may happen? Right. And then and then talking about the what would we do if kind of a conversation. And, and we had security present as well. And they were really wonderful at saying, listen, if something happens and you're uncomfortable with the situation, phone security, like we'll right. come, like you're not alone. So I think having those conversations was really helpful. And um, one nurse in particular who I had actually worked on a unit with and, and have a lot of respect for her was really concerned about the policy. And she had worked at a different facility yeah. where they had, um, you know, a family presence policy and it hadn't gone as well. And, and so she brought with her that experience and, yeah. and was very vocal. And um, so we, you know, we, it's good to sometimes have individuals who, who aren't, you know, the early adopter and, and right. on board to, to understand where they're coming from and, and those concerns. And um, so when we went live, uh, soon after that, we got together with caregivers and providers to create an expectations document. Um, and I asked her to join that group. And at the end of it, she actually apologized to me, which she didn't oh. owe me an apology, but just saying, you know, I was really concerned and I, yeah. I thought all these things could happen. And she said, you know what? having the caregivers here in the evening has actually been so helpful and, you know, having their knowledge and their yeah. skills and, and those contributions have, have really improved patient care. So I just, I, I just think about that example. Um, and, you know, it's okay that, that not everyone's on board right away. It, it was, you know, the right thing to do and you just really have to socialize the idea yeah, and, and be open to feedback. You know, and I would think for a mom having her daughter there, she would be calmer. Absolutely. Right? Maybe not yeah. require the nurse to come in or, you know, it would give the staff leeway to do their, you know, what else they have to do, mm -hmm. I would imagine. But I can kind of see where, you know, the staff would be hesitant at first. Mm-hmm. Another way that's really been helpful when you mentioned, you know, a, a child helping support a parent is some of our um, patients, sometimes English is not their first language. Uh, so having someone there who can also help um, interpret on the right. spot, you know, when someone needs to receive care or, you know, they want to check vitals and things like that. It can be frightening for someone who sure. doesn't understand what's going on. Yeah. yeah, you're right. I mean, I didn't even think about that, but absolutely. For sure. I was just going to say that a couple other things kind of came out when we were implementing. You mentioned what were the, the challenges. And yeah. One of, one of the things where we didn't think about right away, perhaps, was that once we took, um, we controlled the access to the elevators, we had to think about our patients who like to go out in the evening. So some of our, our patients are, are quite early risers or um, stay out a bit later. So we had to actually provide them with cards as well so that they could get back to the unit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> 
yeah. And the same consideration for agency staff. So once in a while, when, you know, we don't have enough of our own care team, um, we need to invite in an agency staff to work um, in the evening, which would be when the elevators are are not. Are not. Um, yeah, right. when they're locked. When so, they're locked. Yeah. So just a couple things that did, you know, did come up and you keep doing your PDSA cycles, your plan, do, study, act, and you just keep the quality improvement going on. Things are going to come up, right? Yeah, you don't yes. think about until, okay, we do it. We go live and we try it. That's right. And you don't know, like, for one of the other things we had to purchase, too, were more recliner chairs um, because people were saying and they obviously needed somewhere oh, to yeah. sleep. Yeah, and we didn't want to purchase them ahead of time because we weren't sure how many individuals would be staying over. So we kind of, you know, launched the family presence policy and then really closely monitored, you know, where were people staying overnight and how many people were staying overnight before purchasing, making that large purchase for the for the facility. And how did the caregivers react? The caregivers um, have been really, really impressed by, um, you know, being identified and being included. And, and one of the, the caregiver um, stories that I that I really enjoy is that I had a caregiver come down um, and I was doing an information session um, about a resource center that we're building for caregivers. But during the session, she had come by and she brought her ID badge down to get her flu shot. So in our hospital in Toronto, oh. every, every staff that gets a flu shot gets a sticker on their on their badge. Um, so I'm not sure if that's a, a common practice, but it just identifies that you've had your flu right, shot yes. should there be an outbreak. Yeah. And so she brought her caregiver badge down and she wanted her sticker on her badge, <laughs> similar to an employee. And I thought, that's great because we do want to be recognizing you. And, and also, I was so impressed because it's the first year we provided flu shots to caregivers. And I thought, you know, why not do one yeah. thing that we can take it off their list and they don't have to go to their doctor or make that appointment when they're so busy trying right. to support someone in hospital. So it, I feel like it's that culture change to being more inclusive um, and to recognizing caregivers. Oh, definitely. I'm sure you've seen huge benefits mm. as a result of this. That's we have, and, and we're really also part of the, the dashboard template that we're using to evaluate um, is looking at 10 questions that are that are in the patient satisfaction survey, the patient and family survey, which is sent out. So we're really looking also to track satisfaction content to, to know, you know, how's this change in, in how we're inviting caregivers and partnering with caregivers? Is it changing their feeling towards um, how that experience, like changing their experience and in a positive way? And, right. and would it, you know, would it help you, would it make you want to recommend this hospital to your friends and family and you know, did you feel included and did you feel that you were treated with courtesy and respect? So these are all numbers that we want to always be improving on and, and want to accomplish as close to 100 percent as possible. And I think this policy definitely is a driver for that change. Oh, definitely. There's just so many positive reasons to do it. Yeah. And, you know, what was interesting when we're you know tracking some of the numbers is that not everyone who has the, the caregiver ID badge actually stays overnight which is okay. Yeah. What we found was that some of the caregivers and patients just felt that it lessened their anxiety just to know, to know. yeah, that if they wanted to, if I was feeling unwell one evening and I, I called somebody, I know they could come and they could be there. And it, it, it was just a reassurance um, for both the caregiver and the patient staying in, in hospital that they, that they have that welcoming connection to have the person be at their bedside. Right. They just know that they can if they need it. Exactly. Or they could call them and say, geez, you know, can you come back? Exactly. Like I'm having a difficult night. I, I really yeah. need you here. Yeah. Yeah. 
because a lot of our parents, they wake up at 2 a.m., you know, and <laughs> right. I mean, and, and then you wake up and you're in a, you know, you're in a hospital, you're in a strange environment mm-hmm. and I mean, you get scared. Yeah. And, you know, we've heard from also, we have a, a fantastic volunteer who actually um, is now on our steering committee for, um, for the project, who was a caregiver to an individual in our stroke unit. And, you know, she, she said, you know, I've been, I've been married for more than 40 years. And so being apart, this is the longest I've ever been apart from my husband Aww. is this hospital state. Yeah. yeah. So having that, that card and that, that ability yeah. to, to remain at bedside was really important to them. Yeah. You don't think about, you know, they've been together for all these years. Sure. And they can, they, they rely on each other. Absolutely. We have a, a huge audience of family caregivers and healthcare professionals listening from around the world. What advice do you have for others who might want to implement something like this in their area? I think my advice would be to definitely give yourself time in your implementation plan to have the conversations and not just have them from um, a leadership lens, but have, you know, frontline providers involved, have caregivers involved and security and someone from your your quality team, because I think it's really important that people who work on the floor are talking about this policy, because sometimes in healthcare, we have a tendency when we're frontline um, and someone kind of swoops in to make a change, we get our our backs up and we say things like, well, they don't know what it's like to be on the floor. So I think... You definitely need leadership support, but it can't be a top down. It's got to, there's got to be conversations that happen where it's meaningful engagement and people have an opportunity to express what their concerns are and you have time to address them before your go live date. So I was just going to say a lot of support is necessary to to have this shift in, in culture, the shift in how we yeah. include caregivers. Um, so I think that was the main, main thing was having a lot of conversation, having um, posters in the parking garage and the elevators, um, spending the time to teach the staff how to how to implement the caregiver information into the electronic medical record. So we want to make sure everything works for that go live date. And we wanted to, we actually registered caregivers ahead of time just to ensure that we wouldn't have this huge lineup that would be frustrating for caregivers. Right. So just, yeah, just being really thoughtful in, in what will this look like day one and how are we going to support the teams in implementing this change, as well as educating the caregivers and patients that this opportunity is available. And how did you let the caregivers know? We had some unit champions who actually went, um, that were nursing staff on the unit, that went room to room to speak to caregivers and patients to let them know and answer any questions that they might have. Perfect. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for everything you're doing. Oh, you know what? The, this has been such a fantastic opportunity. And um, this project's been so exciting to, to actually have the opportunity to work with the caregivers and frontline providers and, and truly partner. So it's amazing instead of just like kind of that checkbox that you did engagement, but to really have people at the table together yeah. and working together. It's, it's been fantastic. And it's great because I'm so happy for the professionals that are listening to hear this. Yes. Because we need to implement this everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? You can do it. Like, I think people think it's so overwhelming, but really 
you know, you can do it. Like you can change that. Don't make that announcement at eight o'clock anymore. And you can, you can either do a phased approach or we did the whole hospital. We just went live one day, just like flicking a switch. Like this is the way we're doing business now. Right, right. No, it's, it's fantastic. And I wish you all the luck in the world and your continued success. Thank you, and I hope that your appointment, uh, the appointment goes well, and that you're able to call in. Oh my gosh! I'll be, I, I know I have to. Call, I have to call them back. I'm like, oh no. Uh. <laughs> I know, but uh, that's just part of it, right? It is. It is. We're lucky to have you. Oh, thank you, thank you, and you take care. Parents are hard to raise family. I love getting your emails and questions, so please keep sending them. You can reach me at Diane at ParentsAreHardToRaise.org or just click the green button on our homepage. Parents Are Hard to Raise is a CounterThink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Our New York producer is Joshua Green. Our broadcast engineer is Well Gambino. And from our London studios, the melodic voice of our announcer, Miss Dolly D. We love our parents, but parents sure are hard to raise. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time, may you forget everything you don't want to remember. And remember everything you don't want to forget. See you again next week.